You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Pat Scott. Hey, Pat. Hi, greetings. And Father Andrew Kinstetter. Hey, Father Andrew. Howdy. Welcome back. It's been a bit. (laughs) (laughs) It sure has, yeah. It's good to be back. Awesome, awesome. It's good to have you. Folks, before we get into today's show, I want to tell you about another show on the network you are sure to enjoy called, I can say my words, Raising the Bets. That's right. It's a show that I do with my wife, Melanie. And uh, if you're going to check it out, you can find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash bets. That's B-E-T-T-S. All right. So uh, before we get into our main topics today, I want to one or another one of my Dom's tales of woe. I need a stinger for this. I need to, you know, something like a like a, a clip. Uh, anyway, so uh, we recently had in my house. We usually had our, our air conditioning went out, which you know was great timing because we had a heat wave in Boston, and uh, it was weird because it would go out, it would stop working. The compressor was we had central air. We had, the compressor was working, but it wasn't blowing. Uh, we'd turn off the stuff at the circuit breaker, wait a few hours, come back, it would work again, so on and so forth. And we ended up having the technicians come out three times to fix things, which, you oh. know, <laughs> is, yeah. which is great. Uh, the second tech came in and he said, oh, it's definitely the thermostat. And we have a Nest thermostat. Um, when I when I bypass the thermostat and just put the wires together, it runs. But if I, you know, put the thermostat in line, it doesn't. So... I had to run out to Home Depot and, you know, buy a new Nest thermostat and he wired it up and everything was working for about four hours. And and, and like he was convinced like this, it's the technology. Oh, all this technology. And he was kind of like, oh, technology to this, you know, this all this not things. Well, long story short, it turns out it was the blower motor, which I kept telling these guys, each successive one that showed up, <laughs> that I think it's the blower motor. Uh, but no, no, it's the high it's the high tech component that you've put in here. And I, I tell you all this just to say, sometimes it's not the high tech thing. Like the tech, the high tech thing is probably the most complicated part of the HVAC system in my house. You know, the, the, the thermostat it's the most technical. And sometimes it's tempting to say, well, if something goes wrong, it's the most technical thing. But the fact is that sometimes it's the simplest thing. It's it's a mower, I mean it was a blower motor that is, you know, the technology is about a hundred years old. So Oh, and so many times I find it's a cable that's 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 frayed or gone bad or you can't see anything wrong with it and it's right. It's 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 a simple thing. It's the simple things oftentimes. So, um, yeah. So our AC has been working for over a week now. A thousand dollars later of repairs, including four hundred dollars of uh, tech late hour, hourly labor that was mm. useless. Right. So I'm talking to the, the uh, company now to see if they can give me a break on any of that. But in any case, just a word, a war, a word to. Of I'm not warning so much, but just uh, remember, sometimes it's the simple things that that's that have gone wrong. 
Sometimes all you have to do is turn it off and turn it back on. <laughs> yes. Yes. But Which it's I, your AC, but yeah. sometimes your I computer, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we had yeah. a sprinkler system that we, that's all we had to do was unplug it, wait about 20, 30 seconds and plug it back in. Yep. It was the electronics in there. Yep. Yep. I mean, in that case, it was the electronic bit, you know, but sometimes it's a valve or, a, you know, or a broken plug or that sort of thing. Yeah. In, in any case, uh, let's talk about our uh, first segment, our first headlines of the of the day, which is there was an announcement recently by uh, Elon Musk at Starlink and team in combination with T-Mobile, the phone carrier. T-Mobile, you might know, is the smallest of the major phone carriers in, in uh, the United States. Uh, it's smaller than AT&T and Verizon, and its coverage area is a little bit less. Um, and that's always been a problem for them in acquiring customers. Well, there's a, they've had this announcement that they did with uh, Starlink, which is that they're going to uh, the the best way to put it, the next starting next year, they'll be able to provide Starlink will provide coverage in areas where where T Mobile doesn't already have ground based coverage uh, for basic use like telephone and uh, texting and some basic stuff like that. So that what that means is, is that when you are in a place that, that where you have a dead zone essentially now you can at least have emergency service. Um, so it will only work where in areas where terrestrial coverage doesn't exist now. And the biggest thing is it will work with your existing phones. You don't need special tech. The satellites will be transmitting on the T-Mobile frequencies uh, throughout the U.S. So I think it's very interesting. Uh, what do you all think of this? Oh, I think it'll be a great advantage for those places like Montana or Wyoming or <laughs> or up in the mm -hmm. Yosemite, up in the top of the park. You know, those things where you you forget that you don't have internet. Right, right. That that was exactly what I was thinking of. I did a once, and I'll never do it again. Uh, not because it was a bad experience, but because I'm just not a backpacker. But I backpacked into the Wind River Mountains for uh, four nights and three days, and I mean, it was gorgeous. It was beautiful. But you I mean, there's no cell service up there at all. And of course, you're not you're going to get away from it all. So right. I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to say I wanted to like make phone calls up there. But there's always that that lingering kind of what if something goes wrong. Exactly. And I know a lot of people use like GPS uh, or satellite phones or something. But mm -hmm. if you don't have to carry one of those and you can just carry your, your normal phone. Right. I, that that sounds like a total positive to me, especially for those emergency situations. Yeah. And sat phone uh, plans can be expensive and mm -hmm. you know not out of the reach of a lot of regular folk. I mean, I know for our own father, Corey, who is in Montana, a lot of his missions from from his parish are in remote places. He talks about driving for hours on dirt roads into the you know nowhere. Um then he, you know, and he's out of range of stuff. So this would be probably a good thing for him. I know he already has Starlink at his home, but if he had T-Mobile phone service, he could potentially, you know, be in touch with people. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's really neat. But some of the the obstacles they face is that um, it is extremely low bandwidth. So it's only voice and texting at this point. There's, and does it mean that it's only if you're a T-Mobile subscriber or will they open those to other people, but maybe have a roaming charge or something for 
No, I think it's T-Mobile only. Like, you're going to have to have a plan. Um, I mean, I, there's nothing to keep Starlink from negotiating with other carriers. Right. You would th- right. You'd think that's exactly what they would do. Right. And they probably will. It's just that this is, they get a lot of nor- uh, fame and notoriety from being the first one to mm-hmm. do it. So, Well, and also because it's, they have extremely limited bandwidth, I think they said two to 300 megabits per cell, per like cell area. They don't, they can't handle a lot more traffic. I mean, they just, it would be overwhelmed quickly. So they probably went with T-Mobile because a T-Mobile has the smallest terrestrial coverage. <laughs> And and also fewer subscribers, and so it's less likely to overwhelm their network. Um, but I think it kind of points to the future, doesn't it? You know, if you because they uh, Elon Musk said that this Tesla will eventually use this for their in-car connectivity, internet connectivity. Like they use AT and T now, I think, but I can see where they would want to, you know, have their own in-house system. And for for that, they're going to need tons more bandwidth. So I yeah. imagine they're planning to grow. And this this seems like just a, a great opportunity for them to play with the technology and see what goes wrong and see what goes right and then develop and and improve on on the current the current system. Right, exactly. This is a this is a test case. You know, they'll they'll see how it goes and where the problems are. I mean, they they kind of have done that with Starlink, which have they've been expanding. And in fact, I saw in the news that they recently they they recently came out with a maritime product product of uh, Starlink. So they can put on ships and it's really expensive. It's like 10,000 a month. This is not to put on your, you know, your fishing boat that you're taking out. But maybe yeah. on one of those princess cruises. Well, it's in fact exactly what it is. One of the big ones, Royal Caribbean, I think it was, said that they're oh. putting it. That's what they're going to use for Internet connectivity on board in the future. And that's probably a good thing because I've never been on a cruise. But from people who have, I've heard it's really weak. It's slow, weak, and very expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, think of think of it. Um, I've like if you're on an airplane and you purchase internet from from that. It's I mean, it's it's not entirely the same, but it's you 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 pay like a daily fee for it. Yeah, and it's okay. Yeah, it's 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 good to kind of check email or whatever, but it's you're not going to sit there and Netflix. And of course, <laughs> if you're on a cruise, why would you be doing that anyway? You should be out. Yeah, although the, shuffleboarding, right? <laughs> I mean, if, I, if I'm on a cruise right. <laughs> and there's a new like Star Wars series on, I might want to like watch that. But you know, other than that, yeah. <laughs> so the other thing that is kind of interesting to me is just where does this kind of point to? Where are we going with our regular phone services? Um, in fact, are we going to? Uh, th- there was some talk last year that Apple might be coming out within their new iPhone when the 13 was coming, might have satellite connectivity in it, which would use the more traditional satellite frequencies. So it wouldn't be the terrestrial, you know, like like the T-Mobile frequencies that they're using that already exist, but the satellite ones and use special satellites for that, um, which would also be interesting. But it kind of that makes me think that maybe we're looking to a future where we don't use cell towers, where everything will be satellite based. What, do you think that's a realistic proposition? You know, that would give us worldwide coverage. Maybe as an alternative, but but for high high speed streaming, I don't think it's going to be a solution for a long time yet. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of bandwidth to pump up and down. I mean, they all they they do a lot of bandwidth point to point, you know, like a lot of, you know, all these, 
these uh, satellite TV stuff is point to point. You know, they broadcast from Hollywood to you know New York to the the network affiliates, that sort of thing. But this is like would be one to many. They would have to be broadcast. Yeah, to it wouldn't many. be just a just a single broadcast of that show to another point. Yeah, it's it yeah. would be a lot. Right, right. Kind of interesting. I mean, they're kind of doing it with the Starlink, the way they're they're they're, they're doing it uh, with the home base. But, but it's still one of many options. Yeah, yeah. And I, I wonder, I wonder if this would just be the same thing because then then you still get the, get the comp- competition between the different companies, and TNT can still develop faster and faster um, cell networks. And, yeah, yeah. I I just I I like the idea of you know, getting rid of all the towers and the dead zones. And as long as you have, you know, uh, a shot, a clear shot to the sky. I mean, satellite doesn't work great if you're in a building, I suppose, but, um, it has to be, yeah, have to be down to the top of the building and then spread from there. Right. Right. It would be nice to get rid of those, those fake trees that you see out there with. <laughs> and saguaros and stuff, depending on where yeah. you are. Although yeah. a, a lot of churches are making money off of uh, the cell antennas in their oh, steeples. Yeah. So the, yeah, they, we they have one that. out at our Lakeway. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, anyway, I, I think it's an interesting, I think it's an interesting idea, an interesting proposition to that, that they're working on. So we'll see how it, how it develops. It'll be, it'll be curious to see. I mean, it was, it wasn't really even a product announcement. They just kind of announced the intent to do a thing in the future. So we'll see how, it, whether even the, the promise of even rolls out. So it'd be worth, worth watching. All right. Let's take a moment now to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including Trees G, Chisidi E, Chris K, Walter G and Daniel W. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. This is Dom Bettinelli, CEO of StarQuest. I need to ask for your help, but first I want to thank you for listening to StarQuest and supporting our mission of exploring the intersection of faith and pop culture. We've added nine new shows since 2019, including, most recently, The Secrets of Middle-Earth, just in time for the new Amazon streaming series. And we have plans to add even more, but the network needs additional resources. We need to bring on more audio editors, video editors, and production equipment, including video equipment for Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World and new shows we have in the planning stages. If you value this show and the other great shows on StarQuest, we need to hear from you now. If you're not yet one of our monthly patrons, please become one. And if you're already a patron, please consider increasing your monthly donation. There are many special patron benefits we'd like to give you, and you can learn more about them by going to sqpn.com give and clicking become a patron. Your support at this time is crucial, so please go to sqpn.com give Today, that's sqpn.com slash give. So our next headline is this interesting story, uh, which says what 21 billion Facebook friendships say about the economic ladder in the U.S. So we all know Meta, formerly Facebook, has lots and lots of information about all of us who have willingly entered into their uh, service. that that I didn't mean it to sound like that, but yeah, that's kind of what we've done is entered into service to Facebook. And uh, 
we what they've done is, is they pulled a lot of the data for what they looked at. Uh, I'm just trying to think of the exact um, segment. Uh, Facebook users in the United States between the ages of 25 and 44 who had used the platform in the past 30 days, who had at least 100 friends on the platform and had connected their account to their zip code. That makes 72 million people, which is about 80% of the U.S. population in that age bracket. So they have a lot of really good data. And then they used it to measure the socioeconomic status of users based on things like location, education levels, relation status, relationship status, and language, and then compared economic, the individual's economic status based on their Facebook friends. And they found that there's a couple of interesting findings in the studies. So one is that people who grow up in areas where there are more friendships between high and low income people are more likely to move out of poverty and up the economic ladder. Uh, the, they also found that there are many places that don't allow for much interaction between high and low income people. And even when a neighborhood does allow for that interaction, people are still more likely to befriend people in similar economic brackets, which I don't necessarily think is surprising at all. Um, I have some questions about some of this data and information, but what do you think about this in general, uh, this this studies? Well, how would they know somebody had moved out of poverty based upon one year's worth of sampling of people in a fairly narrow age group? Yeah. I mean, that doesn't, you know, it might stay where they are now, but to say moving them out of poverty, that's that seems like a, you know, multi-year process to try to track somebody right well and i think there's also some question about how they're measuring people's economic status based on reported could be be possibly overinflated if if somebody said my income level for this household is x well, they didn't ask anybody anything. This is all gleaned from profiles. So you they're like you said the article says they based it on things like location, education level, relationship status and language. Which seems to me to be a little like just because someone has a degree or you know went to college or is married or speaks English does that necessarily mean that they're at a high income level? Uh, you know in the, or no. that they live in a uh, so I because you can you can go to the Facebook's website and dig into this data for your zip code. And I looked at my town. My town is a decidedly blue collar town. It is. And they make us look, look like we're like high, uh, like high income. It's like and what does how do you measure like the friendships? It just it seems kind of sketchy the whole the whole question. I, I'm I'm no social scientist, so I, you know. I would need to have someone who could dig into the actual studies and and pull out of it the actual, you know, how they did this and what the what the results were, but cuz oftentimes one of the things I want to point out is oftentimes articles about studies are oversimplistic and draw conclusions based on a surface reading of the abstract of the study or right. a press release written by somebody involved with the inst institution that so sponsored the study or something along those lines. 
Um, well, and measuring friendships too. I mean, I'm a member of several groups that, uh, like, like the the Oculus Group or, or different things like that. That there's lots of different economic everything from truck drivers to plumbers to uh, nannies, you know. But just because we're connected that way doesn't necessarily mean that we're quote friends that are in affluent, you know, surroundings, et cetera. That that's a I, real poor measure. I don't. I don't think anybody out there. I mean, it, you might have a hundred acquaintances, but you know, those are actual like your friends. Yeah, they're, right? they're, that's the... I have hundreds of friends on Facebook, but often it's like you know a parishioner <laughs> knows me, and right. you know, um, you know the the ladies in the choir and the you know like. But I've never I've never interacted with them outside of outside of mass or something. Yeah, even if you just limit it to people who live within your geographic locale, your just your town, your zip code, you know, the people that you are Facebook friends with. I again, I'm Facebook friends with people who live in my town, but only because we need to, you know, interact with, you know, mm-hmm. scouts or, you know, various community organizations. We're not actually friends like, beyond well, even if they're using yeah. that Facebook definition of friend as being just a connection, not really a friend, yeah. then, then it still doesn't make any sense just because right. I have this connection. Why would that influence my economic status and move me from poverty to, to middle income? You know? Yeah. 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 I, I don't think that this study is, is going to be proven to be that valuable. Right. Well, and then the, the article that, uh, that references this on the verge Kind of also brings into, you know, brings up the fact that Facebook has been has this data for good data for good program in which they're trying to show like, look, we have all this data on people, but we're using it for good, not for evil money making purposes. But the fact is, is, you know, the all the information that they're putting out there doesn't isn't about how Facebook or Instagram or WhatsApp are influencing people, you know, how their own platform affects us. It's all a very external focused. Um, so, you know, you don't have much data on how Facebook is affecting people. It's more abstracted from that. So I, I know Facebook, uh, I, I like to use it as kind of a whipping boy, on this program, <laughs> but it, you know, it just, uh, there's a lot of information there and, it could be good to, to if you could use it in a good way. Let me put it that way. There there might be ways to use all this data to find out interesting things that help us be, make a better society. I'm not sure that any of this is all that in, interesting or helpful. They haven't really proven that that's what they're using it for, though. Right. Right. It, exactly. Um, they they have not. They And they have to prove that this is how they're using it. And even then, if there's I'm not sure it justifies them acquiring and collecting all this data um, in all the other ways. Voluntarily gave it to them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, we did. Um, So um, then, you know, not to mention all the other ways they're probably using it. So it's, uh, Mm -hmm. again, another that bears watching. So uh, let's talk about our next headline. Uh, This one is kind of, kind of surprised me. I didn't, I didn't realize this sort of thing would come, would would be happening right now, but um, from Gizmodo, the headline is "Too many servers could mean no new homes in parts of the UK." Basically, what's happening is is there are so many data centers that have been 
built in this particular part of London, in this area of uh, of London, that it's, it's they're taking up too much electricity, and there's not enough not enough electricity left left to power any new development in a city, London, which is desperately in need of new housing. They have a housing crisis in in London. They need to build so many more units, and uh, and it's an interesting thing to think about because you know all of this stuff that we have on the internet, all your connections, all of the cloud has to exist on computers in places, in many places, in not in just one place, but, you know, in England and in Germany and in the U.S. and probably half a dozen different areas and that sort of thing. And they they use lots of electricity and lots of water for power and cooling. Um, in, and that's become a problem. And so it's it's interesting to think about what do you think about this? You know, the fact that we we don't have enough power for Internet and to give people homes. Wouldn't it make more sense to take some of those businesses or whatever and relocate those to an area where it wasn't competing for home uh, property and and um, electron electric power? I suppose, although they tend to build them in places where there is a good infrastructure and backbone so to connect them all. So the closer they are to each other and to international um, interconnects, the better, so that it lowers the latency and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, if, you know, on the one hand, there's a reason they get built close together. It's because there's yeah. something there to build them next to. Um, I'm just looking for an alternative to yeah. say you can't have more houses. Well, well, maybe we should relocate some of the businesses. Yeah, although these are... Then these you are got f- people getting to them, transport, I mean, and, right. and uh, travel, commute. And these are not small buildings. These are massive yeah. buildings. Some of these buildings pull as much uh, electricity as a small city, you know? Mm. Um, and we've talked about this before on this, on the, on the show about the, the problem of data centers and they put data centers out in, in the U S out in remote areas. And those data right. centers end up taking over the towns. Um, one of the things is we need more electricity and that's, that's actually a, a bigger issue given that there are all these pushes to ban elect, um, uh, gasoline powered vehicles, have electric vehicles to, uh, in the Boston area, I don't know about other places, there's been this push for municipalities to ban the construction of buildings that use fossil fuels for uh, heating and cooling. In the Northeast, we use uh, heating oil mostly for heating uh, in the winters. And that, again, would mean more electricity for heat. And yet our electrical grid is reaching a limit. So where's all this electricity going to come from? And so... There are these questions. Maybe we need to build more nuclear power plants or something something else. And maybe that's a, a thing that maybe the UK needs to start thinking about. Although to build a nuclear power plant, <laughs> it's like a 15-year process, you know, with yeah. all the permitting and all that sort of stuff. It's but also tricky. the UK just doesn't have as much land area for those kind of things. It doesn't. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't. But yeah, yeah, there's... Um, well, in fact... I was recently looking up for because for Secrets of Doctor Who episode, which they filmed at a nuclear power plant back in the 70s. I was curious whether the plant was still open um, and they used to have a lot more nuclear power plants than they have now. And in fact, that's pretty much true around the world. There used to be many more nuclear power plants and then they've they've over the years have shut them down and replaced them with oil burning or coal burning plants because of the opposition to them, the people's fears of them. Yeah, there's a lot of fear. Yeah. Yeah. 
On the other hand, if you want, you know, to go places and have warmth in the winter, <laughs> we're going to need power. So, um, but I think there's a, there's a justice issue in this, you know, that people need homes and the people yeah. who suffer the most are the people at the lowest end of the economic scale. For sure. Um, in order to provide the rest of us with our cloud services, you know, and, and that sort of thing. Uh, it's easy to forget that, you know, when we when we hit a website or upload a video or, you know, whatever that is, or even listen to a record and listen to a podcast, that all this has to go through servers that exist in a place and that are using resources. Uh, so something to keep in mind. All right, uh, moving on. To our uh, next story, this, uh, I, I really am not, I really didn't plan this to be a bunch of dystopian stories. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'll take a, take a moment to say next week, Apple's having its big announcement. And so we're going to have a lot of fun talk about new gadgets and stuff. This is not going to be the positive, downer podcast. Positive, yes. yes, yes. So we can talk about fun new gadgets and stuff. But this time we're talking about other things. Uh, Amazon announced a deal to buy uh not uh, iRobot, which is uh, the company that makes the Roomba. And people have kind of freaked out about this, um, where they think, okay, now Amazon is going to have a little robot that runs around your house and collects data on you. Um, like it'll be mapping your home. And there's all kinds of speculation about how w- what it will do with this information. What do y'all think of this? Is it is is this a real concern? Do you, Are you concerned that... that Amazon's Roomba will map your home for you. And this is the point at, at which my, my echo pipes up and says, no, you shouldn't be concerned. About <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I used to have a Roomba, but because we no longer have carpets in there and et cetera, uh, we don't anymore. But, you know, to me, it's a very flat linear mapping. It's not trying to map uh, depth. And so it doesn't know whether that's a, a Samsung 84 inch TV or whether it's uh, something else up on the wall, unless it's really got an, a, a high pollutant camera that it's right. looking at stuff and mm-hmm. sending it on. It just it's just to me, just linear space. I'm not really worried. I'm probably never going to have one anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, in my house. But do you worry for your mom and dad or your your brothers? <laughs> no. Like, uh, yeah, I've I've not never even seriously considered something like this because a it would commit suicide within the first day in my house. Uh, <laughs> oh, all the Legos would just yeah, t- choke it. It, it yeah. would just it would just like, I mean, it's constant Legos everywhere and all the kids stuff everywhere. Well, so it, there's no well, Dom, room for you- it to move. <laughs> What you need to have is two machines. One is the Lego harvester, oh. <laughs> and the other one is the vacuum. You know, and uh, one vacuums yeah gets the, the Legos out of the way so it can clean. <laughs> if Amazon came out with an a Lego harvester, Lego picker upper, oh, I would tomorrow. Yeah. I would buy well, it. Yes, that's that's what your kids are for, aren't they? they are the problem not the solution uh uh, well i'm the problem because i keep buying them the lego sets because i'm like kids another star wars lego set uh so um but in any case yeah i'm not uh, this feels like i don't know you have to be paranoia yeah you have to be uh cautious just like we were talking about with facebook right in the data but I feel like people have gotten really paranoid about things in their home. Like, 
the uh, one of the AC techs that I was talking telling you about, like, oh, I don't have any like high tech stuff in my house, like because I have Nest, you know, th- uh, thermostat and Nest Protect uh, smoke detectors, and I have Echoes, and he's mm-hmm. like, oh, I have none of that stuff because you know they're recording everything. Like yeah, they're right. Not, they're, they're not. They're not recording everything. Like, yes, the echo is listening, and there have been cases where the police have tried to subpoena anything that the echo may have recorded, because occasionally it, yes, it does, you know, activate and listen for a few seconds and then deactivate. You can you, you can actually request all your data from Amazon. You can go. There's a place to go online. I've done this, and you can get everything. It's like for me because I've had a long relationship with Amazon for going back over twenty years. Uh, maybe 25 um it's it was gigabytes of data lots and lots of data but you can go listen to every time it's ever um you know interacted with your you know your voice um and that sort of stuff so it's not you know you listen to it it's it's not listening all the time and it's it it, it would that's the way so much data they just don't they're not capable of sifting through it so um i don't know i just I'm not going to buy a Roomba, but I just, it doesn't concern me if I get that they would do this. It just seems like there are easier ways for the, for these companies to acquire information about you for the marketing purposes than to do all this stuff like, you know, hacking your phone or your Echo or your Roomba to listen or map or all that sort of stuff. They already have a lot of information based on the, 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 the things we already do, like go shopping and the buying patterns and the browsing habits. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Amazon already knows if you shop on Amazon, they know a lot about you already. Uh, So I'm, I'm not super concerned, but you know, your mileage may vary. Uh, So that does it for our headlines this time. So why why don't we quickly move on to talking about our picks of the week? And Father Andrew, since it's been a while for you, I'll let you go first. Uh-huh. Why don't you uh, give us your pick this week? And for those of you who know my situation in life, my pick of the week is not going to be surprising uh, <laughs> at all. I uh, just started a canon law program at the Catholic University of America. So my pick of the week is Microsoft OneNote. And um, this is actually a program that I've used um, throughout the majority of my time in seminary, but it's, it's a, I mean, of course it's part of the Microsoft office suite. Um, but it's basically a, a electronic notebook. Um, you can, you can split it into different, um, uh, section or you can like, I, I, I have a, I have a notebook just for like the fall classes and then you can f- split your fall classes into different sections. And so those are all my different classes. And then each class has different pages. So you can have a new page for each class and, and type away on your notes. Um, or if you have a, a, uh, I'm a, it, it'd be a, I'm an iPad or a windows with a, with a touchscreen. Um, you can actually hand i mean handwrite with the stylus notes mm. too if you want in it uh so it's really handy for for note taking and um of course i can type faster than i can handwrite stuff so when the professor's uh talking it's easier for me to to type away and uh jot down notes that way so definitely a handy thing for for college students um uh but high school too if if they're even i guess allowed uh this I, I don't even know, I guess, what high schools allow, if they allow laptops or, or what in the mm-hmm. classrooms, but definitely 
um, for for college and above. It's a it's a great note taking tool, and it is part of the Office uh, three sixty five um, subscription if you want to do it that way. And I think that's your seventy dollars a year. Sixty nine yeah. for for personal use. Yes, um, students probably get academics. Yeah, and academics can get yeah. it for less. Yeah. Yep. So if you're if you have a .edu email address, usually there's there's student discounts. So yeah, look into that as well. I think you get it for free. Um, I think so. If you have yes. a .edu. I uh, didn't you have my edu address when I, <laughs> when I should have delayed that. Well, next year I can, I can, I can. Yep, yep. I can, I can apply for it next year. Yeah, right. Ex- excellent. Yeah, yeah I know that uh, that you can also use it like to uh, for stuff that you've already got into a note that you could go back and annotate, circle, put arrows in. You know, scribbling mm-hmm. stuff on something. It's it's a good tool for that as well it, with a mm-hmm. stylus or words of finger. Yeah, I'm with you, Father. When I was in school 25-something years ago, I was one of the first students at my university who brought a laptop into the classroom and took my notes that way and uh, got a lot of of curious looks. Uh, There was one other guy, Bill. Bill Curry, if you're listening. Hey, Bill. Uh, He and I were both the (laughs) laptop guys, and we would fight over the outlets because laptops back then had notoriously bad. And uh, then did everybody enough. come to you for, for study notes? Oh yeah. Yeah. Jeff Cavins, <laughs> if you know Jeff Cavins of the, uh, yeah, the, yeah, he, we and I were in the same classes and, uh, we, he, uh, he also, he came in later, but he, he was also a uh, laptop, uh, guy and he gave me my first digital copy of the catechism of the Catholic church in a oh, word wow. doc. So that yeah. was way back. <laughs> Fantastic. Anyway, a little down memory lane, but one note is great. I've never given it a shot. I should, I've been an Evernote user for more than a dozen years or so, and uh, I've loved it. I'm kind of get a little, uh, if I wasn't so invested, I might be tempted to move to something else. Well, I did try it. I mean, mm-hmm. I I, try, I took all my Evernotes and I imported them into OneNote. Mm-hmm. And it was early in the the uh, development of and maintenance of OneNote, and I had some issues that I couldn't resolve in the way I worked with it. Mm. If I had set up something brand new and had my my uh, stuff all newly entered, I think I would have been better. But I was trying to use my Evernote structure kind of imposed upon the OneNote mm. structure, and I and I ran into obstacles. Yeah. I think what's what's helpful about it for me, too, is that it's in the Microsoft ecosystem. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm already familiar with Microsoft Word because I'm writing papers. And, you know, if you're doing PowerPoints or, you know, whatever, it just it flows from one to the other. And you don't have That's to right. you don't have to figure out a new layout for the menu and the buttons. And and so for, for academics, it is it is just it is stellar. Um, Evernote might be a, a good option, you know, in a non-academic setting. Well, and Evernote tends to be more expensive, too. It is, and they've really pivoted to as a, more of a like a to do app, and you know that sort of stuff. Um, so it's not really. I you I've all, always used it as a sort of a archive or vault for things, but yeah. there are other and maybe better w- things for that. And I use other things for note taking. I, I like to use um, Obsidian, which I've talked about before, and some other other tools for that sort of stuff. Uh, for for note take for like I when I'm in meetings I like to take notes by hand um on my iPad using Goodreads and I know Goodreads is very popular uh among students in academic settings so that's another one to uh to to mention there but uh, I think I I might um I might try the 
the one known just to see how it goes. We'll see. Maybe for a particular project that you're working on, not trying to convert everything else. That's that's what I would do is I would say I would use it for one segment of my interest, hobbies or levels or whatever, not everything. Yeah. Yeah. So um, great. Thank that's you. Great. Uh, and uh, so, Pat, what is your pick this week? Well, I'm always setting up new machines for people, whether it's Macs or PCs or iPads or iPhones or whatever. And these days, uh, almost all the machines are coming with a couple of ports, you know, like a couple of USB-C ports and maybe one USB-A. Or, or in, in the Apple world, you get pretty much all usb or the Thunderbolt, you know, the USB-C looking thing. So I found that in most cases, I use, I usually bring an extra hub with me that is a USB-C that has maybe three or four USB-A ports. Sometimes if they have a need for it, uh, maybe one that also has an HDMI and a, and a power pass-through, etc. So I just got together a collection of here's some example USB hubs that I use. Anchor is my one of my biggest ones. Uh, but I have had some other ones uh, from time to time, but uh, one that was just USB and it was very inexpensive. But one one of them had like USB-C to an, a USB 2 and a USB 3 port. So, I mean, like you kept the expense down, but, you know, you had, had limited performance. But um, anyway, there was a four different hubs that I, I suggested people might be able to utilize. One of them had Ethernet and HDMI, and you, know, you can go on up to $59, $79 for these. But I was trying to look at the, if you're buying a new machine, what's, what's a nice one to get just to, to expand what you can plug in. Yeah, and uh, with these, I would tend to stay with known names. Um, oh yes, there yes. are a lot. That's of why I was names. suggesting Anchor, or there's yeah. a couple of others that, that have been is a, okay. Yeah. Is a name that Sabrin's I another good one. Yeah, um, yeah. There's a lot of um, knockoff. No name. No name. And there, there, there you could get a lot of electrical damage to your equipment if you choose right. one that's not very good. Yeah, in general, anything that in which electricity is flowing into my device. I avoid no name brands on Amazon and other places like that, because yeah, they, I've, I've had too many instances where I've had, I, I remember what was it? I had something battery powered, uh, not too long ago. And it, Oh, it was a, uh, spare battery for my ring cameras. And it started overheating uh, uh. on my desk. I smelled something burning and I ended up taking it outside, throwing it in a bucket and filling the bucket with water, uh, which is not safe necessarily, but is it, it was that or I was afraid it was going to burst into flame. Um, right. So I was I was I had put the bucket in the middle of the driveway and stuff, like just yeah, I was I was kind of very nervous about it. And it was a no name knockoff brand. So from that point on. Yeah, uh, I, I think especially. the only two that I that I recommended was an anchor and Sabrent. Those are the only two I did. There was a lot more on the website, obviously. But yeah, so if you're looking at Amazon, you know, keep it keep that in mind. Excellent. So my pick this week is a Safari extension. So and this works both Mac OS, iOS, iPad OS. So it works in Safari uh, across the devices. And what it does is it's called Vinegar. And it, what it does is it replaces the YouTube player that in Safari, not in the app. So if you're if you're using the YouTube app, this doesn't apply. But if you use uh, YouTube in the in it, the Safari browser, it replaces the usual player with the basic 
what's called HTML5 player. Uh, that's uh, it, it's it's a it's a more basic video player. It's lower uh, ba- um, lower resources. It doesn't require as much resources from the browser. It doesn't eat up as much. It has a few benefits. Um, it prevents YouTube from tracking your play, pause, and seek. I mean, YouTube knows that you're playing that video, but it doesn't know that you've paused the the, the video or moved around within the video. Uh, it lets you do picture-in-picture picture so that you can pop it out of the browser window, whether, including on the on the iPhone you know, or the iPad, and it'll sit on top of the other uh, windows or apps, that sort of thing. Um, the videos will keep playing if you switch to another browser tab, so it'll play in the background if you just looking, if you just want the audio. Um, and it removes in-video ads, which mm. to me is is the, the best part. <laughs> it's the um, so like I, if I'm watching a thirty-minute video and in the middle of a sentence, and, you know, you a, a, an ad will start, and it's like. Oh, and it just interrupts the flow and it's like about something stupid and you know it's it's not targeted to me this it you don't even see them they're just it's there's no no blip no interruption it's just not there at all um and so it's really great and it costs a dollar 99 well, just for the fact that you can uh, hide the browser window and do something else while the video is playing and you're hearing the audio, that's the thing I want. Yes. Because there's a lot of things that people put up a video and I just want to hear it. Yes. Yes. I mean, we put all of our shows up on YouTube, most of them as um, audio only, you know, with a static image so that you could, you know, some people like to listen to our podcasts in YouTube. For that, which is fine, um, but this would allow them to have it playing in the background while they're doing other things. Right. Um, and the the other thing is, it's a dollar ninety nine, but that covers the. It's a universal purchase, so that means you can for dollar ninety nine, you've got it on your Mac and on your iPad and on your iPhone. So it goes across all of them. The the one downside is it doesn't, you know, like if you're on your iPhone, if it opens the the YouTube app, like if you click on a link, it opens the YouTube app, and it doesn't. It doesn't do anything for you there. It won't work inside the right. YouTube app. So uh, there are ways to um, circumvent that, to prevent that from happening from so that you can um, have uh, links open up in the browser instead of, but that's a, that's for another pick of the week. So I'll save that one for another time. Um, so excellent. That's cool. Yeah. It's good. It's a good. It's lifesaver. I would be, if I had to give it up, I would be very, very upset. Um, all right. So that's it from us. We would love to hear what you think of our discussion. And you can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or our Facebook page, facebook.com slash StarQuest Media, or send an email to technology at sqpn.com or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. You'll find links from our discussion and picks of the week in our show notes at sqpn.com. Be sure to write a review in Apple Podcasts or one of the podcast directories, and please share the podcast with your friends. Help us grow this community and reach more listeners. We'd like to thank James for his research assistance in this episode. And until next time, Father Andrew Kinstetter, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. Absolutely. Pat Scott, thank you as well. Good to be here. Thank you. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Technology on StarQuest.
StarQuest wants to hear from you. We're conducting a survey of our audience. That's you, to help us in our planning for the future. Please take a moment and visit sqpn.com survey. We'll be selecting two participants to receive an Amazon gift card as an expression of our thanks. So visit sqpn.com survey today.